0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to I4CP's Next Practices Weekly podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Tom Stone, a Senior Research Analyst at I4CP, the Institute for Corporate Productivity, the leading authority on next practices and human capital. The Next Practices Weekly podcast is one of the ways we share those practices with you, by interviewing top HR leaders and facilitating discussion with the broader HR community on what high-performance organizations are doing differently with their people practices, from HR strategy to talent acquisition, learning and development, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and much more. Recently, my co-host Lori Likens and I had a great conversation with Grace Neewa, Vice President of Global Talent Acquisition, Talent Intelligence, and Early Careers at Vertex Pharmaceuticals, and her colleague, Christine Maley, Director of Global Talent Intelligence Sourcing and Insights. They describe their innovative approaches to creating more agility and efficiency on their recruiting team, building out a capability model, and how they are making progress on their gender diversity goals, all by leveraging the strategic use of people analytics. But before we get to that, did you know that in addition to being a human capital research firm? I4CP also has an executive search practice that specializes in recruiting diverse and high-performing human capital leaders. We help our clients, whether I4CP members or not, to successfully build their human capital leadership teams through the effective placement of chief people officers as well as leaders of diversity and inclusion, talent acquisition, learning and development, total rewards, and their people analytics functions. To learn more, just visit i4cp.com forward slash executive search. Okay, now for the discussion with Grace Niwa and Christine Mailey from Vertex Pharmaceuticals.
1: Thanks, Tom. Well, we, we are really honored to have Grace and Christine join us today. Grace Niwa is a vice president of global talent acquisition, talent intelligence, and early career at Vertex Pharmaceuticals. I also want to mention that Grace is a, a stellar member of I4CP's Talent Acquisition Board. Um, we run several, how many boards do we have, Tom? Six? Six? Yes. yes.
0: Boards six that are six biggest, boards.
1: Made up of uh, the senior most executives in their respective functional areas. So Grace sits on our Talent Acquisition Board. and Grace is joined by her colleague, Christine Maley, who's the Director of Global Talent Intelligence Sourcing and Insights of Vertex pharmaceuticals. And we're going to be talking today about agile talent acquisition and capacity building. Um, So Christine and Grace, please take it away. Let's start by hearing about you and your roles at Vertex. So Grace, the microphone is yours. Okay. Thanks so much, Laurie. Nice to be here. And
2: thank you for the invitation, Tom, as well. So my name is Grace And I've been at Vertex for about two years now. I'm in my third chapter of my career journey and have worked in startup environments, um, backed by PE and VC firms, as well as mid-sized biotech
3: companies. Christine. Thanks, Grace, and thank you for inviting us as well. Uh, My name is Christine. I joined Vertex about two years ago, leading the, and actually establishing the first ever talent intelligence team here at Vertex. Um, Thanks to Grace's vision, as she joined Vertex that time as well. I lead also sourcing and our insights team with our data analysts. Um, And my background, I have a PhD in bioengineering, so I have the science side. I have a background in competitive intelligence and also executive search. So I kind of see this talent intelligence really being um, a combination of all of the different skill sets brought together. Um, And so, yes, we're happy to be here and looking forward to sharing with you.
1: And Grace, Vertex does some very special work, some very specific type of work. Would you share a little bit with everybody about what that is? Sure, absolutely. Vertex Pharmaceuticals
2: is based in Boston. We're about 5,000 people, 80 80 billion in market cap, and 8 billion in revenue. Uh, We're known for creating innovative medicines for cystic fibrosis, and we're currently able to help 90% of that patient population. We're still trying to figure out the next 10. Um, In this space, we don't have any competition, but we are starting to move into other diseases, which include sickle cell uh, disease, as well as type 1 diabetes and non addictive pain, among others.
1: Thank you. Wonderful. So let's level set for everybody. Would love to get an overview of what the talent acquisition function looks like at at Vertex. What's the size of it? And talk a little bit about scope.
2: Sure. So we are a... um, lean machine within vertex most of uh, biotech companies put 75% of their profit back into the science and so we do have to be lean which is one of the reasons why we're focused on the capacity building model um, we're about 55 people in talent acquisition 50% are fte's and the rest are contractors we also have an rpo I have about eight direct reports, and for our functional TA leads who lead RD, medical, regulatory, as well as international and commercial, we have four COEs which is talent intelligence, early career, global executive search, and TA ops and enablement. And we work with everyone in HR, but especially with people experienced total rewards in IDE. Okay.
1: All right. So I know that you had a preparatory call with Tom, and we talked about how we're going to discuss what you're doing at Vertex in the context of challenges. So the first challenge being, how do you create more agility and efficiency with a lean, very specialized team? Right. So we've got. To,
2: we have so much data at our fingertips. Sometimes I don't think we realize how much information we have and that we absorb every day. And so besides the regular recruiting metrics that everybody looks at, I wanted to understand what type of data would be game changers for the team and how we can be more proactive with our hiring managers around diversity recruitment as well. So what would help me look at the data differently? I wanted to share three challenges with you and the approach we took to see our world differently. So the first challenge here is how do you create more agility and efficiency with a lean and specialized team. A lot of our roles are niche roles, very hard to find, as well as there's a talent shortage in a lot of those areas. Um, Part of it is that we're in gene, and that is also a new area, a new platform. And so there are not many people that actually know um, how to do that part. So next, I decided, you know, let's look at ourselves first. Let's identify what does our team know first? and then you know because these are the people that go are that are our heroes that go into battle every day in a very competitive market for vertex so how do, well do we know each other what do they know what don't they know what are our strengths what are our gaps and what are our capabilities and so we put together a survey and to gain a deeper understanding. And so here we have, you know, we looked at their functional area of expertise. We asked them about their diversity recruitment experience. What experience do they have in early career? What disease area expertise do they have? Have you um, recruited globally? And do you know who our competitors and biotech peers
0: are?
2: Go to the next slide. So this is what we saw from a team capabilities perspective, These are this is actually what came up from our recruiter, recruiter expertise by disease. Next one is recruiter expertise by job family, but next, thank you. And then also the diversity recruiting expertise, as well as the global recruitment experience that they had. And if you go to the next slide, we're now looking at each recruiter, right? And so, yes, thank you. We can now see that each recruiter and their capabilities. What do they know about the disease areas? You know, We saw that the knowledge of lung disease was high, but we were low on neuro and liver disease. What is the recruiter expertise on job family groups? These are the functions. Do they know GNA? Do they know uh, medical, et cetera? What is their knowledge of the Vertex top competitors? Here we saw some gaps. We have some people who knew a lot, but then others who really didn't. So now what do we do with this? So now we're looking at the next challenge. And you'll see why we needed this data from our own team. So none of us feel that we have the capacity to keep up with the demand, especially when you have unexpected surges of headcount. And then also when there's a commercial launch that is pushed up earlier than expected, and this happens all the time. So normally, you know, our, our, the ground is always moving underneath us and we generally know our teams are working at capacity, but That capacity is not not always coordinated across the organization, especially also globally. Go to the next slide. So I thought maybe we create a capacity building model. and This is something I started with in my former um, company, but let's now take it a step further. And now Christine's going to walk you through what we did.
3: Thank you, Grace. Um, so, So one of the big questions and one of the big issues that we see is that not every rec is created equal, right? So when we're looking at two recruiters here, we have recruiter one and recruiter two. Recruiter one looks to have eight recs. Recruiter two has 12 recs. A new rec comes in. Who do you give the rec to, right? So that's our big question is we have a new rec. Does it go to the person with the least number of recs currently? Do you give one more to the person that has 12? So on the next slide, what we did was we took a look at Could we actually identify a score for each individual rec that would allow us to understand the overall capacity for the individual recruiter? And so what we did was we looked at a number of different features or factors here for the machine learning model. We looked at the job family. So, you know, where in the organization does does this person, this role sit? Is it a scientist role? Is it a commercial marketing role? We looked at the level of role. Is this a junior scientist or is this a senior director of MedChem? Uh, we looked at also asking the recruiters, you know, what is the difficulty rating for recs that they had done in the past? So ask them to give us scores so that we could use that as part of the model and the supervised learning of the model. Um, and so that was a really great insight that we're using to tag. Um, and then as you go forward, we're actually going to be able to use that to then predict future difficulties of new recs that are coming. We looked at some other data like historical data volume. How often have we recruited for this role in the past? So that would mean that we'd have a lot of data to go off of for the single role or do we need to actually uh, group it? Is it a niche new role that's coming and how do we how do we deal with that situation? Uh, how many applicants do we typically get? Is it a rec that we get a lot of applicants for? Um, does that mean that it might be easier to fill or more difficult to fill even, even so? And then status. Do we think about was this a rec that took a very long time to fill and it's had a lot of stops and starts along the way? Um, so we can think of a lot of different data points. We also incorporate things like location. We looked at, you know, where does it report into? As, as Vertex Grace said, we have a cell and gene therapy as well as we have small molecule too, and different um, reporting lines. So you're able to also look: are these roles specialized, maybe are more difficult or not within the organization? So this was sort of the, the features that we used. um, and used about three years' worth of workday data um, to develop this.
0: Christine, if I could, a couple of things. One, I just want to note for everyone, please keep the chat open, and feel free to use that to ask questions as we go along. I'll I'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, And I had one question, actually, to sort of kick off that mode. <clears throat> the the data you've got here, I assume some of this is from your applicant tracking system or your core HR system. Um, it, did you have to pull it from multiple systems? And, and how strong was some of the historical data? Were there some gaps for some of the roles going back maybe more than a few years, that sort of thing?
3: Yeah, great, great question. So, so the data that we're pulling from is, is largely from the ATS, so using the workday data. So we are looking focused first there. Um, I will say that we switched systems about three years ago, right, to come into workday from another ATS. And so really our our data was about three years old. Um, we did have to do some data cleaning and, and also the fact that you know, as they get older, the the ability for the recruiters to remember or even still be here and present to to give scores to so is another factor that we had to consider. So um I would say that overall the data was pretty pretty good for our model um, in the sense that we didn't do a lot of cleaning in that that piece though.
0: Looks like we do have a couple of questions from the chat. Um, the one from Mary on that third item here, recruiter difficulty rating. I was wondering too, was that sort of more subjective asking recruiters, uh, pulling them or did you actually use things like, you know, days to fill on, on actual past recs?
3: Yeah, so, so days to fill was used as a feature in the model um, to be able to predict. But when we used the recruiter rating, what we were looking at was asking them to rate from one to five how difficult they found that REC to be, um, and that allowed us to then tag that um, REC um, with the features to, be able to then do the machine learning algorithm around that. Um, and so... Uh, We ask them really just to take a look at what they thought the REC difficulty was and then we're going to use that to then go forward. When we think about the future of the model, what we're going to do as well is that in real time as the RECs are completed, we're going to ask the recruiters to then um, validate the score. So to help the machine learning model to continue to learn at the end of each REC going forward, they have to also validate that the score actually was correct or not, and then we can continue to build the model out.
1: Christine, we, we had another question about data from Isaac. Um, he was wondering if you're using real-time labor market
3: um, talent demand availability as an input feature. It's a great question. Definitely something that we would like to do, right? We work closely, um, we have talent neuron data, we've evaluated MC, Lightcast, right? So we have looked at that. I think the one challenge that, that becomes when you try to match the external internal data, we have to actually know is this role actually equivalent to what role in the industry and doing that matching back. And so that's definitely something we'd like to look at in the future. Um, but that is one challenge that we have right now is for doing it at scale. How do you know that this rec matches the external market exactly? And so something we're looking to build in, um, as sort of a future evolution of the model as well. Um,
1: I had a question myself. so i'm I'm assuming that you had some hypotheses going into this, Christine. Were there any surprises? Was there anything that came out of this that you weren't expecting? It's a great
3: question. um i think I think that what we I think the thing that we weren't expecting was probably um, just how variable the overall scores could be for each recruiter, right? I think when you added up all of the scores per rec and we saw that one recruiter who had maybe eight, um, you know, recs actually was at the same rec capacity load as someone who had maybe had 12 or, or 13 or 14 or whatever the number is, right? So I think that that for me was very interesting just to kind of see that this model could help people to understand, again, that just the number of recs doesn't necessarily tell the whole story and that we can really be able to be predictive and, and really be able to, um, look across the teams and balance those loads. Um, I think one thing that the recruiters, the TA leads also really liked is that we can look over time. So while at a point in time, the rec capacity might be very high, is that sustained over six months, which might end up indicating burnout, or is this a situation where it's up one month, it's down the next, we feel good about that, right? So I think um, going forward, it's just going to provide more clarity and sort of visibility into those types of data points as well.
1: And then we had a question about diversity. Do you have targets to increase representation? Um, and do you have any plans to integrate the diversity recruiting pillar within all the specialized recruiting teams? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Grace, do you want to maybe address that one? No, you know what? That's actually probably
2: going to be part of the 3.0 version of this, I would say. As also, we're, we're also thinking about next year when we get the workforce plan, if we upload all of that into this you know, will it tell us a lot more and how to be more strategic upfront versus more reactive? And so these are things that we're going to experiment on.
0: Yeah, I I love the iterative nature of of your approach to this model. Um, And I I wanted to bring up this slide, Christine, because this speaks to what you were just talking about, that one maybe learning or surprise that, you know, the the difference in the number of wrecks can vary quite a bit. Um, based on you know, all the factors from the previous screen, the difficulty of fill and, and other things. So maybe um, just reiterate that point here.
3: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great call out to Tom. I, I think this is one just sort of fictitious example, right? Where if we look at recruiter one, even though they only have eight recs, we see they're at a 35, they have a lot of fives and fours on their plate right now. Whereas recruiter two has a lot more, uh, less difficult. So they have a lot more applicants that are applying to those roles, potentially have a lot more Flow of candidates a lot a lot less difficulty to fill those roles and so where you have a thirty five as a score and a thirty two as a score if the newest rec is a three you may consider giving that to recruiter two to then again balance that thirty five versus thirty five um, as the overall capacity number.
0: We had an interesting question from Beth also in the chat. Um, this is all focused on the recruiters. We saw the the background of their skills and. And and everything as, as the, you know what you did for challenge one, and then applying that here. Um, what about the hiring managers? Because usually it's a it's a partnership between the recruiter and a hiring manager. Did you look at any differences amongst that that pool? <laughs>
3: So, thinking about whether or not a hiring manager is uh, more junior in their career, maybe hasn't hired as much as maybe yeah. a more senior. It's something that we're we're evaluating. Um, I think that's something. That hopefully, again, maybe models two or three may incorporate that as well. But it's a great point. I think intuitively we 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 know that as as sort of recruiters ourselves. Um, but I think as far as how do you accurately demonstrate that that is a, a direct relationship, I think is is one of the challenges too, right?
0: Yeah, because it's one of those, you know, all other things being equal, this could be an additional factor to consider where one might be feeling some burnout because they're working with certain hiring managers that are are challenging in various ways, maybe, or in particular just lack of experience.
3: Agreed. And then I think the next level of of where we can go with this and what we're looking at doing with the capacity model and evaluating the recruiter capacity at an individual level is to think about setting the limits and so what we've done is looked across for example Um, recruiters of the same level, what should be the average capacity score that we'd anticipate? And so for here, for example, we have a 30 score. And so if we have now recruiters two and a new recruiter three, um, recruiter two with a score of 32 and recruiter three of a score of 47, we can see quickly that there is already a potential for burnout if that continues at that high level over a period of time, right? So I think this is a way again, that we can sort of monitor um, how recruiters are feeling at least intuitively or share with the TA leads to be able to have these conversations with their recruitment team as well?
2: I think what's um, interesting about this is when we see this and we also have now the survey information of what functions that they have um, recruited in before, we're now able to look across organization in the on the team and say, Beth over here has medical experience as well and her, her workload is not as high. Why don't we have them come over and help the other recruiter? Right. So a bit more of an agile
1: organization versus siloed.
0: We had another question come in from Lori, uh, Lori Berninger. Uh, what about your talent sourcing team? How do you decide what recruiters gets the sourcers most support?
3: Sure. No, that's a great question. Um, and hi Laurie. Um, so for for this um for for our model, we actually have business critical roles as where our sourcing team focuses. So so at the beginning of the year, um, the tea leads discuss with the business and the HR business partners to decide which recs throughout the year are going to be considered business critical. Um, this can be roles that have niche talent, have a focus on um, diversity and increasing that within that function. Um, It can also be roles that um, have just been notoriously difficult to hire for or even builds that we're looking at, for example, too. So we have a couple of different parameters which indicate that it's a business critical role. So our sourcing team is really focused there. and, And I I believe that in most cases, those are probably 4.5s or 5s um, on this scale. So they actually operate in some ways uh, at a high rec capacity with a fewer number of recs for each sourcer is how our team is set up.
1: And so we have a great question from Robert and I know that we were planning on talking about technology, AI, Robert is asking, are you using any specialized business intelligence or AI tools? to make the recruiter's job easier. And I know that you are, and also that you're early adopters of chat GPT, which could be a whole another hour long conversation, but let's hear about how you're using AI. Yeah, Grace, do you want to? Oh, sure. Um,
2: So we're experimenting. And I also would say that on my team, I have uh, not only Christine, but one more person who is uh, very familiar with the people strategy analytics teams, as well as the data science team. So they know how to leverage uh, some of the data that we're gathering here. So for ex- instance, um, we we had uh, 180 assessments of VP Plus. Um, for those who are finalists of any VP role, we make sure that they do this assessment as part of the process. What we realized was that the score of those assessments didn't really tell us whether that person, whether they were hired or not hired, because somebody who was not hired could score very high and those who were sc- scored low could also be hired. So we were thinking, why don't we use natural language processing to to see whether there's patterns of words uh, or competencies that would show up? And that told us something very different. So that was a very interesting exercise. And the conclusion we came to that was that we needed to change our competency model. And so that was very, very um, telling. It's just another lens in seeing the information
0: more broadly on on the technology front um your use of of things uh, with what we've been talking about with these first two challenges can you just let us know uh, i think you mentioned workday I, I happen to know separately that you all use workday at vertex um what what other tools have been critical to this work
2: we have Beamery, we have seekout talent neuron
0: very and good and
2: linkedin yeah linkedin insights
0: as linkedin well. of course yeah <laughs> Yeah, folks on these calls are always curious uh, what, what sure. the tech stack looks like for each of the, the, the innovative solutions. Um, had another question here from SEMA. Thank you, Seema. Um, have you seen recruiters' scores get improved as they spend more time with a particular job, family or hiring team? So the more they're able to focus, do their scores improve? Or is this still too early for you to be seeing some patterns like that?
2: Uh, I don't know, Chrissy, if, if you want to answer this, but I think it's too early. We're still at the beginning stages of this.
3: Great.
0: It'd be interesting to see if those develop, though. I'm sure you'll be monitoring that and and then making adjustments as as, as appropriate. It's
3: like, uh, oh, go ahead, Christine. I was saying, and we're still working on, you know, again, to training the model more, right? So this year we're going to be doing that sort of validation step of when the recruiter finishes their rec, they will then put in the score and so that we will continue to learn as well. So I think it is too early and we have other things that we're sort of building in to get better and more predictive. Um, I will say two power BI is another... Um, Tool that we use quite frequently actually the capacity building model is is in power bi currently um and you'll see um another one here in a minute the challenge 3 is also built on a power bi dashboard right now um that could evolve over time as we think about this capacity model building uh, capacity building model 2.0 right so we think about this sort of bigger picture question that we're trying to address um we we want to really um integrate and automate uh what we're what we're building here and and using machine learning again, in a way that we can be more predictive of of the, the scores for the difficulty of the recs, I want to think about this capacity building model that can look at individuals, right? Who should get a certain rec? So again, this is linking back to what Grace had said earlier about what is the um, capabilities of each of the recruiters, right? What are their experiences, and how can we connect back to a recruiter who knows X function very well? And so therefore, if there's capacity for that person, uh, they have low capacity right now, and they have this experience, and a recruiter needs, you know, to take on a rec, can we? automatically assign that to a recruiter in the very far future. Right now we're thinking about empowering the TA team to help make those decisions. Um, And also think about the team, right? What's upcoming? So we have the workforce plan every year that comes out. Can we use this model to actually predict uh, times of the year where it's going to be more difficult? Is it, you know, April through June are going to be the most difficult periods of time. And then we're going to see a slowdown as we get into other parts of the year. Um, How's the team overall again? the capacity of the team, not only within say one TA lead, um, but also across the entire organization globally, how can we think about the team's capacity there? Um, And then strategy more going forward, um, how can we think about planning um, even for the year? How are we gonna set up? Do we need extra support from an RPO? And maybe it's only certain times of the year, not the full year. Flat rate fee type of an idea. So we have that sort of built in as the capacity building model being this overarching with inputs from various sources, you know, the, the capability matrix, also from the rec scoring model, um, and being able to really be um, more agile. And Grace can give some more details around that as well. Do you want to move forward, Tom? Thank you.
2: Thanks. So we saw that this was a very good opportunity for us. Um, This provides the TA leads with a holistic enterprise view of their work. And we're able to avoid recruiter burnout. I just wanna also be clear that we do not show this to the recruiters. This is really for the leadership team. Uh, And we give, um, because of this, we're also giving the recruiters a different experience. They're not just working in their function, 100% of the time they're able to experience working across different functions as well as internationally.
0: That was going to be one of my questions is who sees all of this, all of this data. So obviously it's seen by the two of you, but also it sounds like you've got TA leads, so they would see it, but the individual recruiters, individual contributors on the team do not.
2: Yes, exactly right. And that's where we're going right now. So the the most interesting thing for me was, and one of my goals was how do I create an agile, self-organizing team? Um, I don't think the traditional team um, way of working really works as well anymore. And so when you provide data and the TA leads are able to see the performance of their team as well as other teams, they start to talk to each other. And I just hung back and they discovered, they start to understand the data, they start to self-organize naturally. And that in and of itself, I didn't realize there was something called self-organizing agile team, but that's what you know happened. And I'm I'm very encouraged by this um, because they really need to be more
1: um, accountable to each other mm-hmm. and not just look at one leader. Yeah. I love, I love that.
0: About, I love go that that ahead, Lori.
1: I was just going to say, I love that phrase, self-organizing team. I think that's you. great. You know, because mentally what I think is, oh, this is the antithesis of micromanaging. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which <laughs> recruiters hate, by the way, right? So, absolutely. 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 Grace, can I ask you a question about the um, agile teams? Sure. Awesome. So you, you, we talked about self-organizing, but I also heard that you say that you don't share this data with the recruiter. So yes. it seems like part of the self-organizing is that they have this, because part of Agile is open knowledge and transparency. Mm-hmm. So if they don't actually know this person has high level of burnout and this doesn't, but how, so how are they self-organizing that if they don't have that knowledge?
2: So it's really the TA leaders that are able to now use this data and work together, right? It's the reason why we're not showing it to the recruiters is because I think they're gonna look at it as, oh, my performance is bad or good or whatever. Mm. That is not what this is about, right? So um, the leaders, the TA leaders yeah the data. Only the leaders are you and usually when you're doing this kind of work, you're doing it for the talent the external talent but you know we haven't spent enough time thinking about our own people and what they need to develop right because the the role of the recruiter and the ta business partner is changing
1: Got it okay thank you
2: okay if we go to the next I'm just cognizant of time So the third challenge was um, geared towards hiring managers. We wanted them to be more proactive about their diversity recruitment initiatives a lot of times i look at T and they said you need to find us more people you know more women or underrepresented but i wanted to also put the responsibility on them as well and so at vertex we believe that hiring for underrepresented groups should be creative and if you look at the overall data sometimes you think you're doing really great but actually if you dig another layer down we found some teams. Uh, were not represented well. And for this instance, the next slide, please, we saw that in the finance organization, um, there was a gap with women uh, finance leaders. And so we decided to create an id and recruitment scorecard uh, who can help the hiring managers proactively analyze their impact. And so Christine, will walk you through the next couple of slides.
3: So the, so the first step, um, you can actually go back, Tom, really quickly. So, so the first step that we took actually was to look at um, benchmark data from the external market, um, specifically within finance. And so we took a, a couple of data sources. So uh, Talent Neuron uh, has a platform, right? And so it also can evaluate within specific locations, um, gender diversity. So we took Talent Neuron's data. We also looked at LinkedIn Insights, which also does try to estimate gender diversity. And then Seek Out is another platform that we use that also has an algorithm that predicts Uh, gender diversity as well. And so we took these three data sources, we looked at sort of what the minimum, what the maximum, what the average of all three of those sources was, and we found that about 42% of women within the finance department uh, across really the biotech and pharma industry within Boston, again, because we are focused on, um, that's where the majority of this, this function was sitting. And so we had 42% women as our benchmark. So We went out with that data point we created now um, using Power BI, a dashboard that can be a talking point with hiring managers. Um, so our goal here really was not only just creating awareness of what that benchmark was, but looking at how do we take action and how do our hiring managers and our recruiters take action to really create a more diverse function. Um, So this is a little bit of a, a view of how we present the data, right? We have a summary at the top stating, you know, what the total headcount was currently, also what the gender diversity benchmark should be and then what kind of gap we have currently. And so you can see, um, this is a fictitious example of course, but we had about 33% women um, as our, our current state. So you can see that by the pie chart in the center, um, which is about 34 men to 17 women within this organization. Um, our, our threshold or our benchmark is 42%. And so when we looked at the gap, 42 minus not 33 is nine. Um, and then you can see at the bottom there on the right hand side, we have um, a what if calculator, um, which which would allow us to understand if we increased hired more women or if we lost women um, from the organization or men, vice versa. How would that impact our gender diversity within the team and what would be then the gap that we would see? If you go to the next slide or the next page. So this is an example of how we can, use that sliding what if calculator. So here we said, what if we hired three more women into the organization? We would see that we'd actually improve. And so now we're at 5% gap. So we went from 33% to 37%, moving closer to that 42%. I think one one great thing about Vertex and sort of the size that we are, um, we actually can see impact. I think that this is also one way I thought was a very non-unintuitive um, part of this tool, which we use not just looking at a data point that's a percentage and a benchmark, but really what are you what can you do and what are the effects and implications of your hiring strategies? And so we can see already making improvement just with the three women hired into the organization. If you go one more forward, uh, we also did the opposite. So what if we had attrition and what if three women left? So now we see we're going down to 29% um, and we have a 13% gap. So again, this is really a way to have conversations with hiring managers really at the more leadership level as well. So looking at maybe talking to your, your vice presidents when they're looking at their organization across, how can they have conversations with their reports as well to think about an overall hiring strategy um, using this sort of a, approach.
1: I think that what if scenario planning is just, you know, it seems so obvious, but I don't think a lot of organizations are doing it. And I just, I think it's genius.
3: We are very fortunate to have um, an amazing data analyst who's very creative and and figures these things out for us. Um, Again, we we actually, as Vertex as a whole, we're very lucky to have a data science team that partners very closely with our TA team um, and, and HR overall too. And so I think that's one of the benefits, even with the machine learning model. We have data science supporting, we have a data analyst who can speak the language on both sides from TI and also from TA and also from the data science side. So I think that collaboration that creativity is is really key in us being able to create things like this so and more thoughtful
1: decision decisioning rather than just like knee-jerk reacting so we're getting a flurry of questions and comments there was a question earlier christine about um, linking your diversity to business outcomes are you able to do that yet what does that look like
3: yeah grace do you want to take that one
2: Uh, We are doing that right now. We really do take diversity seriously. We have a woman CEO and she's also underrepresented. And so as part of our monthly report out to the executive council, we have not only showed the um, number of diverse interview panelists, as well as we are now trying to figure out how do we show the um, diverse level of candidates, especially at the director plus level, uh, because that's where the gap is in our organization. And um, this is something that is a uh, disciplined that we're all doing right now, and it's taken some time, but I'm really proud of the team for actually putting a lot more conscious effort into it.
0: Another um, question we had in the chat was from Martha um wondering again, technology wise, what tool are you using for these for these what if scenarios?
3: This is power bi. So this is a feature of power bi that we're we're using here. Yes
0: definitely i think some jealousy out there uh, for, for, from folks on the call uh, in, terms it's of, in terms of inspiration
1: it's inspiration
0: yeah, inspiration yeah uh, in terms I, of I, you know the the, I, the tools but also just the foresight and the people analytics Folks that you've got at, at Vertex, um, which we've, we, you know, we, you, you all have been members of I4CP for yes. a number of years, so we've we've had a lens, a viewpoint into many of the things you've done over the years. I know several years ago you you ran a study on belonging and its actual mm-hmm. impact on productivity, which yep. I had never seen any organization do before. I work a lot with our workforce our workforce planning exchange, and I can say. The 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 idea of what if scenario certainly comes up amongst that group, um, but far far more often, uh, folks are saying, "Yeah, not doing it yet. Wish we could." Type type right. of thing. So,
1: we had a question about executive search. Is your executive search team um, incorporated into this capacity building model, or are they kind of doing? No, the they are not included in this. But it's a good okay. idea
2: for later. Um, I think three point. Yeah. Yeah, it's not as many roles, and we know they're all difficult actually.
0: <laughs> and another question from the chat from Amy for, for gender do you also look at impact by job level for the hiring strategy?
2: Hmm. No, but we might want to look at that. It's a good question. Thank you. Mm-hmm.
0: You're getting a lot of thumbs up and yeah. kudos from folks too, saying that it's just, you know, this this is a great way to tell. Tell the story and invite readers exactly. to to determine uh, what sort of the the ending of the story might be.
1: Yeah, you um, should you should package this and sell it. I love that. <laughs> well, it really just is math, right?
2: But I think when you see it visually, the hiring manager is like, "Oh, it's their decision to make." Now they have the information. It's usually the benchmark that they don't really know. So. Uh, and we're not actually rolling this out enterprise-wide. We're only p- uh, picking the areas that we feel have a more of a, a bigger gap to help uh, right now. I don't think it's gonna be an enterprise-wide tool. Okay, you know, for us, commitment to diversity is high priority. Getting to the benchmark is the floor, not the ceiling. And what's important here is that we show data that the business can understand. That is really that communication is so critical for us to have credibility. And if you go to the next slide, yeah, we can't wait. We we have so much to do because our patients can't wait for the right people to find us. Thank you.
0: Well, uh, I think we wanted to uh, earlier. We you uh, talked to some about the assessments and the use of AI there. Um, I was wondering, are there any other areas uh, in TA Grace or maybe other areas of the organization? AI is such a hot topic. Is there anything else that you can that you can share that we're using AI at Vertex?
2: Sure. One thing that um, we have been talking about is HR case resolution. And that is now we use AI there, and it's already automated 35% of the cases. So that's been a huge help. Um, We're also looking at how do we create an internal candidate slate for roles like chief of staff, uh, where we want to look at skills, people who understand how to navigate cross functionally and so we're right now creating a, a custom
3: algorithm to look at internal candidate slates.
0: I think, I think when we had our go ahead Christine.
3: Oh sorry the other place I just wanted to mention too is um around the pay transparency laws um you know natural language processing to be able to understand how the external market is is really compensating the the talent and what the what the candidates are seeing out there in the market, right? So can we look at what our roles look like compared to say roles that are in the external market? So another place that we're working closely with the data science team, my data analysts to be able to evaluate that piece as well.
0: And I think when we had our prep call, you mentioned natural language processing, not only for what you just mentioned, Christine, but also just to find candidates. So scraping PubMed, oh, yes. uh, other other scientific locations where uh, maybe, you know, if they're not prominent, a lot of particularly academics, aren't always really prominent on LinkedIn. Uh, for for some reason, even today, there's still this bifurcation uh, in, in some ways for scientists and other academics that are, they have their university um, conferences and university things they go to, but they may not be as prominent or easily findable on LinkedIn. So say a little bit more about that, your use of natural language processing there.
2: So that is something that the executive search team is actually working on. Where we are looking for very specialized talent, maybe somebody who only does transplants, and it's imp- almost impossible to, and very labor-intensive to go through all the med- you know, the PubMeds, right? Um, and so, how do we? you know, pick some of the words that we know are associated or the networks of these people. And so that's been an experiment that we're working on. And uh, it's actually gotten us some really great names that, like, as you said, they're not in LinkedIn.
1: Mm-hmm. I would love to be able to to address this one question, because I'm sure there's people in this call that would love to know a quick answer to this. Grace and Christine, what do you look for in talent acquisition professionals? Um, mm-hmm to join your team. Well, if they could all be like Christine,
2: that'd be great. <laughs> but <laughs> um so I thought about this. Um I'm really looking for someone with a growth mindset. They need to be a they need to love problem solving. They have to be data literate so that they can be creative around talent solutions. And I'm also looking for someone who's an optimist, a positive thinker. There's so much sometimes that uh, will bring you down and you can't go down that path. And so um, I look for that as well as curiosity, agility, a learner, somebody who wants to win and get things done.
1: A learn it all, not a know it all.
2: Yes, exactly. There's gotta be a humbleness to it because you're learning every day in this job. Every day is different.
3: Yeah, no, I love that, Grace. And I think curiosity for me is the same, right? That, that someone's creative and, and curious and is willing to go deep. I think at Vertex too, one of the things that across the entire company, we know people will do well is if they can go very deep and get in the weeds, but also come back up and be at that high level and have the conversation strategically. So I think for me as well, someone who can kind of back out and see the bigger picture, but also go in and actually fix the problems. Sometimes it's hard to find those two qualities in one person. Um, I think that's a vertex, especially where people do really well here.
0: We had one more TA question coming from Mara. She asked, do you use behavioral assessments like predictive index to match candidates to hiring competency targets?
2: We did. We had predictive index for about two to three years, but we found only five people were using it, so we decided to take it away. (laughs) <laughs> so we are now looking at other assessments because I do think it's important. As the recruiter, the role of the recruiter is changing. Uh, you need to think like a marketeer, and with automation, you're going to spend more time with talent. So I think assessment skills is actually going to become more important.
0: Grace, we've got about uh, you know a handful of minutes left here on the call, and we didn't talk about this during our, our prep for today. Um, but I'm curious, uh, given your your high level role in, in TA, and I'd be curious, Christine, for your insights on this as well. You've talked about the next versions for your cap- capacity building model and what you're going to be working on. But broader than that, broader than the model in TA more broadly, uh, what do you see coming up for the rest of this year? Where are we, you placing some bets? Where are you going to focus and maybe going into 2024 as well?
2: So, for as I look to the second half of these, a great question because that's what I've been thinking about right now. Uh, we have to win in the areas of manufacturing, um, quality, because that is going to really determine whether we have the right people in the right seats that can take the new diseases that we're looking in forward. So, it's critical. And so, while I spend a lot of time speaking to the business, because I need to hear it from them as well to be able to help the teams. Um, I'm step by step with my CHRO as well. She's in there with me um, because we need to know who's best to leverage um, to get to make the impact internally. Um, and so that's a big part of it. I think getting the right people in the right seats. What um, we're going through right now is very low attrition. And so that means we have to be careful of the budget, which is another problem. So uh, it's I tell the leaders, don't compromise. Do not compromise on talent. Make sure you wait to get the right person in the door. Makes all the difference.
3: Yeah, it's so true. And I think from a, from a talent intelligence lens, right, we're kind of looking at the external market, external candidates, um, and what the trends that are happening in, in this space. And I think we've been seeing a lot of um, layoffs throughout the last year. It's continuing to this year. We're on track to actually have more layoffs this year than last year, right? So there's an element of of how do we support the recruitment team on an always on type of intelligence as well. So one of the things that we're working with the TA team on is is empowerment and and really using the tools. So self-service around LinkedIn insights, how can they get information on talent neuron that can help guide their approach to getting the right talent in the door. And then how can we use some of those market triggers like the layoffs, like even maybe predictions, like if there's a failure in a company for a drug or or whatever it might be, can we use that to predict a likelihood that that company might be unstable and be a place that we can target? So being in Boston, we have a lot of... um, you know, a tumultuous market here all the time. Um, I think it's also growing, and, and we're going to see um, continued gaps in in what the talent and skills we need in this market as well. We see a lot of growth from other companies here um, coming in, and also building. You know, it's a it's a very startup market, right? There's a lot of startups that are here too. So I think for me, like, how do we get more always on intelligence? Integrate that data together into a database that allows us to really be proactive, get the data where it needs to be, the information where it. Needs needs to be um, to support the TA team.
0: So we had one last question that that snuck in here before we wrap. Uh, Thank you, Cecilia, uh, for asking, do you focus on industry agnostic expertise? You've mentioned a lot about all the specific things in your industry, which makes a lot of sense. What about industry agnostic expertise? Absolutely.
2: Um, Well, I mean, to answer that question, we are going into areas where people are looking at talent that do not have degrees. Um, to bring them into some of the training for clinical manufacturing, which coordinating. Uh, we have to because in Boston, there's going to be a shortage of those types of workers. And so we're starting to branch out. And that's part of the early career emerging strategies that we're working on right now because our career paths are different.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of I4CP's Next Practices Weekly Podcast. I encourage you to join us live for these discussions each Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 8 a.m. Pacific time, so that you can ask questions of our guests and co-hosts and participate in the conversation. Just go to i4cp.com forward slash events to register. We hope you'll keep tuning in as i4cp brings you more great HR executives to discuss how high-performance organizations are leveraging best and next practices in HR. Also want to remind everyone uh, of our Next Practices Now conference. Again, this is now open for official registration next March 25th through the 28th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, You can register now if you're already making travel plans for the new year. Thank you, and we hope you have a great and productive week ahead.